0: Father, we uh, come to you this morning because we are dependent upon you, and you are the one worthy of all our worship and adoration, and so we enter this place recognizing that we need you, and through your word you provide the truth we need, so I pray that we would come ready to receive, ready to hear from you, pray that you would work in and through hearts, seek and save this morning, make us look more like you together. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. And Again, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 10 if you haven't already turned there. It's also on page 868 on the Bible in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to use that, take that with you if you don't own a copy. So we've been anticipating the projector, you haven't been here in a while if you, haven't, if you didn't notice the change this morning, but for several weeks now, and I've probably been thinking about it a little too much. Because uh, I had a dream about it last night, so that's, there's your sign, right, about thinking about it a little too much. And the the dream was that everyone in here's eyes were closed the entire sermon because it was so bright. I know, it's just (laughs) pathetic. I don't know where that comes from, but if you're sleeping this morning, I'll just assume it's the projector. You're trying not to hurt your eyes. But I am excited to be able to open God's Word with you all this morning. My name's Nick Runlett. I'm one of the pastors here Um, And it's a privilege for me to to stand before you this morning. Um, It's been said that anyone can gather a crowd, but it takes a work of God to build a church. Most people can figure out how to gather a a group of people together, even make that group of people grow. Uh, If you have enough money, resources, fame, you can get people to show up. But it takes a work of God to grow genuine Christ followers Jesus could have easily gathered more than 72 in our account this morning to send out ahead of him if it was about being as efficient as possible. If it was just about creating a movement or just getting the gospel out by any means necessary just spread it as fast as possible. He wouldn't have set up this moment by telling them that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head or that No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. He would have told them that he would heal any disease and sickness they have. He would have told them he would provide shelter, give them any earthly thing they desire. If it was 2022, he he might have told them there was a raffle in the lobby for a free iPad. And all you have to do is sign up and follow Jesus. But clearly, those aren't the type of followers that Jesus was interested in. There's a different type of message he preaches to those who will hear, those who will listen. So here in Luke chapter 10, as Jesus sends out his followers, as they prepare the way for the one whose face is set towards Jerusalem, he has a very clear message for them. What Jesus calls his followers to just going to highlight these in three points. First is that it requires trust, that it demands urgency, and pronounces judgment. First, what Jesus calls his followers to requires trust in verses one and two. First two words of this chapter are after this. So what exactly is this after? What happened before this? We've spent a lot of time looking at that over the last several weeks, but Jesus has just told them. First of all, that he's the son of God, but also that it costs a lot to follow him. What it would cost. What it would cost to believe this and to preach this. And after exposing their hearts to the things that were more pressing to them than what he had actually called them to, after this, he then appoints a group of followers to go ahead of him. In chapter 9, which I believe we started back in November. Uh, Jesus sends the 12 out ahead, and now he sends a group six times larger than that original 12. So he started with his 12, and now he sends a larger group out. Tells them to go two by two. And then I think really that's just for encouragement, for accountability, for protection, just sent out in groups of two. But that gives them 36 different groups spread out in that region. And their role is a lot like the role of John the Baptist. Making the way ready for Jesus his rule and reign. In fact, any of you are still holding out hope that the KJV is going to make a comeback. Uh, This is a really helpful translation in the KJV of ahead of him in verse 1. The KJV actually says, before his face, which is the expression that's used back in chapter 7 for what John the Baptist will do. Sent out before his face, a face set toward Jerusalem. And I think something that's helpful, always helpful for us to remember when we come to accounts like this is that God doesn't need the 12 or the 72 or, uh, for that matter, any of us to accomplish the work that he has to do. In order for the gospel to be at work in the hearts of men and women, he doesn't need to gather 72 people and then send them out. But he invites them into this gospel work. He doesn't need them to go, but he lets us co-labor with him. He lets them co-labor with him. One weak attempt at illustrating this is when I hand my boys a snow shovel, small boys. Quite honestly, it's me following them around, picking up the snow that I'd already shoveled off, and somehow they got it back on the driveway, right? (laughs) But involving them in the work is about more than simply just getting the driveway clear. It would certainly be more efficient, less stressful for me to just do it myself. Jesus calls them and us into this gospel work. Even though he doesn't need us and its effectiveness has nothing to do with us. And quite honestly, I often feel like I'm throwing more snow back on the driveway than I'm clearing off. But we get to proclaim the good news of King Jesus to a people in desperate need. We get to prepare the way for his work. This isn't a burden, but a privilege. So where does the trust come in, or dependence? Well, once Jesus does appoint them, he has some parting words before they go. Read verse 2 again. It says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Such an important verse in this entire section, as Jesus tells them, there's a lot of work to do, not a lot of laborers to do it, so pray. That's your response, pray. Harvest is plentiful and we don't have a lot of people to do the work, so you better pray. This is a desperate trust in the one who can give what is lacking, who can provide what is needed. And Jesus not only teaches the disciples to do this, he models it over and over and over again in the gospel accounts. We would no doubt be tempted to end this first instruction with so many other first steps. We are tempted, in fact, with our own ingenuity and persuasiveness. If we just approach it the right way, say it the right way, use our our dynamic ability By highlighting the gifts of men to draw a crowd or to win a following. Or just by making things as easy as we possibly can. Make the gospel more palatable. Round off the edges a little bit. Give them half-truths. Get them in. And then we'll tell them the whole truth, maybe. We could give countless examples of what we try to do first when we see the work that has to be done. Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. This requires trust. Trust that God will do what you and I never could. Trust that God will raise up and send out laborers into the harvest. His harvest, verse 2 says, his work. So this reminder that the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few, is, is sobering, even discouraging as they're sent out. It could be discouraging. It's a reminder that they're called to a task they cannot complete on their own, right before they go out. Therefore, pray earnestly. How about we start there? Doesn't mean we don't do other things, as we'll even see in our text right after this. But those other things are not where we begin, and it's not in those other things that we think the actual work gets done. Pray that God will raise up, equip, send out workers into the harvest. That's what Jesus tells these 72 to do. How do we get missionaries? How are we ever going to reach our neighbors and communities? Jesus seems to think that those things happen as a result of God responding to prayer. By praying for gospel laborers, gospel workers, missionaries, us. And through our prayers, he also reminds those of us not involved in the work that we might actually be an answer to that prayer. The followers he's telling to pray are the followers about to go. This is a group of people that are about to be sent out to do the work as he tells them to pray that the work gets done, that others are raised up. And although these disciples are sent out in a unique time, No doubt they have a very specific mission as Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. It looks different than our mission right now exactly looks. But the harvest is still right. The the laborers are still few. The gospel is still meant to be sent out through our mouths and our lives and our actions and the ways we communicate about that truth. Every single one of us as disciples are called into the work of making him known. Gospel laborers. Charles Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or an imposter. That seems a little bit harsh for 2022 language. But as followers of Jesus, we're either making him known or in Spurgeon's words, we are imposters. How can we hold this truth, believe this truth, and yet not speak about it and make him known? So for us, what does dependent gospel work dependent gospel work look like where god has placed you or maybe where he wants to send you what does dependent gospel work look like where god has placed you we can't hash out every application of that but what does that look like in your own life work school relationships family neighborhoods and are you praying to the lord of the harvest for his work to be done through his people This work requires trust. Second, what God calls his followers to demands urgency. Verses 3 to 9. Even though these followers are commanded to pray earnestly, as I've already said, this command is given to a group of people that are going. They are engaged in the work while trusting and resting in the work of God. This prayer, this trust is not merely a passive thing. First word we have here after being told to pray, that God will send out laborers, he tells them, go. Go your way. So right after praying, he tells them to go. Pray that God will do his work while you go out and do the work. Pray that God will raise up laborers as you are a laborer. This is not a contradiction. This is the way God graciously chooses to work and make himself known through people like us. And this going, as we've seen throughout the past few chapters of Luke, demands urgency. This message, if true, is an urgent message. Demands urgency because if we say we believe what we believe is true, if sin is as bad as we say it is, and Jesus is as good as we believe he is, and every single human that's ever walked this earth will face death, and separation from God, if they don't know Jesus, then how can this be anything but urgent? And this urgent message is one that enemies are looking to destroy, to distort, a message that attracts opposition. They'll be sent out as lambs among wolves. They're to carry no money bag or knapsack, no sandals, without greeting anyone on the road. It's a lot to take in there, Jesus says to them. But don't lose sight of what, Jesus, what he's saying here and how that actually connects back to what we've already read. Verses like the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Let the dead bury their dead. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself, loses his soul? Jesus, as he does, cuts to the heart of the matter. If these things will cause you to look back while your hand is on the plow, better to leave them behind. Don't even bring them along. If your right hand causes you to sin, he says in other places, cut it off. This is the way Jesus teaches, approaches things because he cuts to the heart of the matter. So on this mission, don't get bogged down with financial provisions, material concerns, even being consumed with what you'll eat and drink even tells them not to greet anyone on the road. You introverts have a new favorite verse, right? (laughs) Jesus said, don't greet anyone. Yes. But his point is that the work you're called to is urgent. It's something you're to be about and and be moving towards and, and have your eyes set on what he's called you to do. Significantly more important, That work than the things that often weigh us down, hold us back. In the same way that we're admonished in Hebrews 12, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So even things like greetings on the road in that time were elaborate, time-consuming. This was not a head nod and a wave. He wasn't telling them to be rude. He was stressing the fact that they were sent out with a specific mission. So be about that mission as you go. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. This must be urgent to you or you don't understand the message that you carry with you. And we see this all over the New Testament. Exile, strangers, life is a vapor. We're just passing through. This is not home. We we have a citizenship in heaven. This is not the end. This is not where we get all we can out of this life, and then, then we'll enjoy that. This, we're passing through. We've got a mission as we walk this earth, as we're parents and neighbors and coworkers and friends. This is not our home, so don't live like it as you go. And I know we can often have so much focus on the future, so much time and energy and and our thoughts are consumed with the future in a temporary way, whether that's financial future our health in the future or job ladders in the future or families in the future that we forget about. It distracts us. It crowds out our thinking about the future in eternal ways. We look back while our hands are on the plow. I think one of my favorite quotes applies here. That is the reason most people fail is because they sacrifice what they want most for what they want in the moment. This is part of the temptation for every prospective disciple that Jesus talks to. Losing sight of what lies ahead for what I can hold on to and see and touch and feel right now. It's the warning he's giving to all of these disciples that come along the way and say, I want to follow, I'll follow, I'll go. He doesn't make it easier for them. He tells them what it costs. Tells them what it actually will look like. And there are absolutely some unique aspects of urgency here in this account. But our work as ambassadors remains urgent until Christ returns or calls us home for everyone who has believed this message. We were talking about this a a few weeks ago in small group, and I was thinking back on the home church that I was a part of in Flint, Michigan. No shout outs? Okay. There was a different (laughs) level of urgency in that that church than I see in my own life, In, in some of the saints I grew up around than I see in my own life. And it's hard to explain, you know, you have the perspective as a kid, it's hard to to know what was true and what I was projecting, but it was weird in that church for us to not be praying about and just pleading for those we knew who didn't know Jesus. It was weird to not have those conversations, to not hear older saints in the church just talking about the people that their hearts were so burdened for and they try to have conversations with all the time. It It was weird to not see that. And many of the saints in that church, I would guess, and I I still know some of them, they loved people more than they loved what people thought about them in that church. Than I know I see in my own heart. And there was an urgency in the work. Quite honestly, I, I also grew up in a struggling community financially. And the grip of materialism was not as strong in many of those brothers and sisters, as I often see in my own heart. And that can subtly or not so subtly push out the urgency as we get more and more comfortable here. As this feels more and more like home, the urgency kind of fades to the background. And I speak for myself, but I, I see that tendency in our culture and in the American church. I think about certain neighbors of mine Why the gospel has never made its way into my conversations with them. And there are likely several reasons for that. But is one of them that I've forgotten the urgency of the message? I think so. Or how often I can pray for unbelieving family members but not actually even speak of gospel hope to them. What about good things? Good things. Hear that. These are good things. Like work. Work hours and demands and entertainment, fitness, robbing us of time to even be a laborer because any extra time is eaten up by those things. Is, is that a lack of urgency? Maybe. Maybe there are some things that we're prioritizing over being a laborer in the work of Christ. And, and please don't forget this urgent message that we get the privilege of communicating is also the reason you don't have to leave here today feeling burdened and guilty because you haven't actually lived as if it's urgent. Grace abounds because of the work of Jesus. So let's get to work while we still have time. Let's make much of him while we still have time. As we continue in the text, we'll see Jesus continue to give more instructions, and I I think one theme of those instructions, again, is that this is urgent. As they enter the house, they're to announce their intentions, that they bring peace. Look for men of peace, a man of peace. So there's harmony. They're they're welcoming you. They receive what you have to say. But don't waste time on homes that have no peace in them. Instead, move move along in this ministry. Move along in this gospel work. Verses 7 to 9 show us some similar language that the 12 get back in chapter 9 due to the urgency of the message and mission, they're not to jump around from house to house and just take advantage of people's hospitality. They're to continue. And if the message is not received, if they're not welcomed, they're to continue. But when they receive you, verse 8, or welcome this good news, eat, spend time with them, heal the sick, announce the kingdom of God being displayed in their midst through what they're doing, through the message they have. So clearly the way Jesus speaks to the 72 is showing us once again, this is not the only time we see this in Luke's gospel, once again this, me- this message of the kingdom of God is urgent. Third and finally, what Jesus calls his followers to pronounce judgment, verses 10 to 12. Throughout Luke's gospel, we see this message not received by everyone. And the offer of peace in verse 5 is withdrawn and replaced with a pronouncement of judgment. When a town will not receive them, they're to go into the street with their message. First, they wipe the dust off their feet against them. An action, we talked about again with the 12 in chapter 9, verse 5. This tells the town they've placed themselves, or the home, they've placed themselves outside of the people of God. They've rejected the one they have been waiting for, the Son of God who's here. They've rejected him. We see that in Acts. Again, it's a pronouncement of judgment because they've rejected the message of Jesus. And second, they're to say that the rejection of their message does not change what's actually true. Verse 11. Let's read that again. It says, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Basically, it doesn't matter what you think. This is the reality. You rejecting it doesn't make it not true. I talked with someone a couple weeks ago that actually said out loud they don't get what the fuss about ice cream is all about. (laughs) Now, you can say that with confidence, but it doesn't make ice cream any less good, right? (laughs) The truth remains. It's a little less important. But the kingdom of God, regardless of your rejecting or accepting it, has come near. Whether you believe that message or not, it was nothing less than the kingdom of God that had come near. In rejecting the laborers, they were not simply rejecting some messengers, but the very kingdom of God, son of God, in the flesh. And that has significant consequences. Jesus says in verse 12 that it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. We don't get any explanation of that day right in this text, but most agree it's pointing to the day of judgment. We see that later in Luke and Matthew and 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy. Jesus will expand on this even more next week. as It's kind of a continuation of this in verses 13 to 16. But on Judgment Day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for those who reject the Son of God. The destruction of Sodom was something they would would have been very familiar with from Genesis 19. It was a judgment so severe and well-known that it becomes common speech for talking about God's judgment against evil. And it will be more bearable for them than for those who reject the Son of God. And I want to be clear, if it's not already, as we've been working through a text, and oftentimes when you work through narratives, this is not a step-by-step guide for missionaries in 2022. This is not a step-by-step guide for gospel laborers, for those going out with the gospel into our communities in 2022. That's not why it's recorded for us. This is the difference between what's often talked about as descriptive versus prescriptive. This is descriptive in the sense that it's describing events that took place for us. And we have much to learn from the text about Jesus, about the message, about what we're called to do as laborers, about the harvest, about the fact that he is the son of God. His message is urgent. And judgment is waiting those outside of Christ. But this account is not prescribing a step-by-step checklist for every follower of Jesus for all time. And I think this is an important distinction as we approach the Word of God, as we study the Word. And it's helpful for us to know for the purposes of our passage that this is not prescriptive. You're not to read this and leave your neighbor's house and go yell in the streets. The dust is being wiped off your shoes or telling them they're worse off than Sodom. That's not not what I want you walking away from this hearing or seeing. Yet, at the same time, the reality of what Jesus is describing and the disciples are sent out to do is is still true. Those who reject this news face judgment, face separation from God. And the rest of Scripture helps to inform that for us and, and approach how we come to this text. And that has significant application to us, even if the way we approach it today is a little different. The truth about judgment cannot be a truth absent in our theology. And even in our conversations and our gospel witness, the warning is truly for all people. If men remain in their sin and are not in Christ, they will find themselves worse off than Sodom. That, That is true. So let's pray and plead for repentance and faith and trust in him. Let's Pray and plead for laborers to be sent out. We've all seen examples of judgment talked about poorly. But that doesn't mean we don't warn anymore. That the warning disappears from the gospel. The good news of the gospel and why we need it in the first place. There are ways to speak that truth in love, but we must speak it. We must warn. We must not be silent in those areas God has called us to be clear about, where he has been clear about. Many times when we don't speak boldly about what separation from God looks like, it's because we don't trust him. Because we don't really believe it's all that urgent. But praise be to God, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And praise God that those of us whose faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, who took our sin and gave us his righteousness, we will not face judgment on that day for the times we have been silent. For the times we have not spoke the truth in love for the times we have cared more about what people thought about us than about their very soul. Praise God, we rest in the finished work of the one who always spoke the truth in love. But may that grace we have received motivate us to warn those that are outside of Christ, to plead with those who don't know him, to show off the goodness of who he is and what he's done to love them more than we love ourselves. Our exact mission may look quite a bit different from the 72 sent out on this specific day as Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. Our exact mission may look different from one another as we go all over the place after we leave here, and we work in different offices, and in our basements, and and go to different coffee shops, and different classrooms, and sporting events. But the main ingredients of what we're called to proclaim remains the same. We go with an urgent message that involves a very real warning for those apart from Jesus, with very real hope, whether they believe it or not all the while depending on a God who will work as he sends out laborers into his harvest. Consider this morning how we're called to be a part of that. Let the rest of Scripture inform how you think about your mission on this earth and what it's supposed to look like, As almost like these men and women traveling along, called not to get caught up in the things along the way, a little bit of a picture of what our life is, is meant to, to be like. And I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus was getting at here, but I think that's something we have to think about as we walk this earth, right? We're, we're walking through 80 years, maybe 90 years, maybe 60. But during that time, what are we walking towards? What are we seeking to do with the time God has given us to make him known, wherever he's placed us? What a privilege that is to be a part of that work. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And it excites me as I think about this large room. And there was a large room full an hour and a half ago as well. Sent out from here to make much of the God who made them and saved them. And we get to do that together. As the church of God, we get to do that together. That's a privilege and let's let's live as if it's urgent today. Let's pray.